0: Welcome to the Online Fraudcast. I'm Carice Hendrick. And I'm Brett Johnson. And we're both anti-fraud experts.
1: But with very different sets of experiences.
0: I've been in the anti-fraud space for well over a decade, working with hundreds of the biggest online companies in the world to help them prevent payment fraud.
1: And prior to several years ago, I was a fraudster. I committed several different types of fraud online, ended up on the United States Most Wanted list, spent time in prison, and since that point I've dedicated my career to helping businesses and consumers protect themselves against people like I used to be.
0: Can I just tell you how much I love being back on the <laughs> podcast with you and having my partner? <laughs> it's
1: a good feeling.
0: <laughs> I know, but you spoke at a few events this week, and so I took over the ra- the reins since I was, you know, at a conference the week before. And you've it done is an definitely job. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> I yeah, it's definitely conference season. <laughs> It is, yes, it Keeping is. Keeping us both busy, but it's yeah. so awesome to get out of our home offices and meet people and talk to them and, and share our knowledge with people, too. No, oh, amen on that. And I'm I'm
1: looking forward to uh, the upcoming live podcast we've got at the CNP.
0: Oh, my gosh. So two nights ago, I woke up at 430 in the morning freaking out, like cold sweats Waking up in a panic, like, (gasps) and I realized it was because I had a dream that I was at CMP Expo with you and DJ came up to us and we were just kind of like talking to people and stuff, having fun. And DJ came up to us and said, okay, you guys go on in 30 minutes. Are you ready? And (laughs) DJ Murphy's the the editor in chief. And I realized in my dream that we hadn't done any prep. We hadn't figured out what we were saying, what we were doing. (laughs)
1: Story of and there life. were
0: over a thousand people. I know you're really good at it. I'm a planner. <laughs> and you know, I have like segment ideas and stuff that I think will be really fun. And uh, we're working on t-shirts for people and you know, anyone that uses the F promo. So <laughs> it was just like, I, I don't know why, I just freaked out. And then I wo- when I woke up, I was like, you have two more months. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 60 days. It's all right. Right? Yeah. But I am really excited about it. It's May. Uh, we're speaking on May 22nd. The conference is the 21st to the 23rd in San Francisco. I think anyone that listens to our podcast knows about it. But April 5th is the end of early bird registration. And if you use the FCAST promo code, all caps and when it asks for promo code, and just so you know, the money comes off at the very end. We've had a listener to say, oh my gosh, like I put the promo code and it wasn't working. So I did a bunch of research and it'll come off at the very end. But if you do that, then it makes the, as long as you register with the promo code before Friday, April 5th, then it's only $760, which is really good because a lot of conferences are like 1200 to $1,400.
1: That's all right. So see, yeah. what a bargain.
0: Yes, right. And you get to see us live. And I know you'll be talking to people. I will be too. And I'll also be running around on other stuff because I'm working on the outline as we speak or the agenda as we speak. And we have some awesome speakers um, from Airbnb, from Macy's. I'm trying to think from Let Go, Harry's, a lot of great companies. And so, you know, we really work hard to get a lot of merchants to share their experiences with people. And it's just an awesome thing. So that's why we talk about it so much, because I mean, a CMP Expo is where Brett and I met and it's a conference that we both believe in and have been at the last two years. And it just feels really full circle for us to be doing the podcast live. So I'm really excited that so many of our listeners are planning on going But I just want everyone to go. So very good reminder. (laughs) You
1: know the CNP conference. It's you've got these huge conferences, and you know you were at a big one yourself, not not very long ago. MRC. I was, yeah. And hats off to MRC. They do a great job with everything Mm -hmm. they do. CNP. It's it's a smaller type uh, conference, but it allows you to network more with people to uh, to really develop those relationships. I mean, I love what MRC is doing, but I also absolutely adore what CNP is doing.
0: Yeah, no, I I agree with you. I mean, I've, you know, I worked for MRC on staff, and I believe in the organization. I said that on the last podcast. Um, But it has gotten really big. I mean, the very first MRC I attended, I think was like 250 people. (laughs) Um, And last week was, or I guess it was about a week and a half ago now, almost two weeks ago was 1600. And I just heard from a lot of people like I couldn't even see half the people I wanted to see. Part of it was because I was in meetings. But the other part was just it was so big. And it does, there's great value in that because they have a lot, a lot of sessions and all of that. But I really, you know, have worked hard to make CMP feel a lot more intimate. I mean, we have, you know, around 1000 attendees or so it it varies every year. Yeah. So I mean, it's, it's still pretty big. It's not like, you know, I've gone to a few other conferences are like 400 people, but we do a lot of programming to make it feel smaller and to make sure that people that don't know anyone meet people right away, especially on the merchant side, because I was that person, you know, who attended a conference my very first time and didn't know anyone. And it was really overwhelming and kind of made me feel like I was back in high school trying to find a lunch table. (laughs) So I do a lot to try to make sure that, you know, we have that merchant networking event the night before on the 21st at Lucky Strike. And that's a good way to have some fun, but also get to know merchants and then that way you guys can hang out the rest of the week and we have fireside chats and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, I believe in it. You believe in it. We really hope that everyone comes. <laughs> That's our big long advertisement for That's it. it. That's it. That's um, it. That's our plug. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I know I think that was a good enough one. You know, they, this is very set. This podcast is very separate from my work in CMP, but everything that I work on is going to bleed into it because I Believe in what I'm working on. Right. So speaking of MRC, I joked about it last week on the podcast by myself. I got to meet a lot of awesome merchants that are our listeners, and a couple of them were like, "I know that you're t- you were talking about me on that one episode." I'm like, yes, I was, but it's all for learning purposes, and I don't ever you know throw anyone uh, you know under the bus. But it was just funny. I found out that two pretty large merchants were at dinner together, and they were both mentioning, "Yeah, Carisse talked about me on her podcast." <laughs> (laughs) but i'm really good about not saying names but (laughs) i I know well no you're getting so much better and i'm very proud of you but they i also was joking with them like hey if you guys don't want to hear brett's rants (laughs) of the day you know i really want to hear what you guys want to know and so one of our loyal listeners gave me a few topics and she's just awesome i really i'll say it julia (laughs) Ah, we won't say where you work and we won't say your last name, but you know, we love you. And you're just such a badass. And I love the fact that we're seeing so many women getting just so excited. And I see the light in their eyes like I had at the beginning of my career. And it just excites me. And I love, you know, helping them as much as I can, getting them to speak at conferences. I'm encouraging them to go for that job that they don't know if they can get you know, all of those things. And so yes, Julia gave us some very good topics. And the one that I thought we should dive into today was really around manual reviews and when somebody should call the customer or maybe the bad guy. So kind of to give an overview to everyone and (laughs) Brett, since you've never been on this side of the fence, but you're catching on very, very quickly.
1: I like that. I catch on to things pretty quick.
0: You you do, yes. And that actually gives us, a, you know, it's good for us now. It was not good for us when you <laughs> caught on quickly on the other side of the pen. <laughs> yeah, you catch on very quick. But yeah, so in a typical, and I'm just going to say typical merchant environment because it's different for every company, but primarily what it's kind of worked out, and it sure has changed in the last several years. But what it's worked into now for the majority of merchants is that most of them use some type of case management system that applies rules to an order. So they're looking at the different attributes of an order and as well as the payment information and all these different things to create a score around the risk and, you know, an easy, I'm not gonna dive into all of it because we're always very conscious that this is a public platform. But, you know, the easiest one that I think everyone knows would be if a physical goods company is having has an order that comes in where billing and shipping don't match. AVS doesn't work or whatever it is. I'm just doing using like the worst case scenario and they're picking overnight shipping and it's a $5,000 order. That's going to have a much higher risk score than somebody that's made several orders before. They're just ordering regularly. Their billing and shipping match and it's like a $100 item. So that's what the the scoring's looking at. And really, it comes up with three different actions. Yes, no, maybe. So the yes is, yep, we've seen this person before, or we feel good about this order. It's going to automatically go through. No one's going to look at it. It's going to go straight to fulfillment if it's physical. Um, If it's digital, pretty much everything gets fulfilled right away. But when you're doing manual review on digital goods, you're trying to kind of catch up so you can claw back the goods, like if it's a gift card or something like that. And then the other one is no. So Just a hard no, this is way too risky. A lot of times it means that one of the attributes matches something on the negative list. So the IP address, the email address, the phone number, whatever it is, has been linked to confirm fraud before. So those would be the no's. They're just automatically going to be canceled by the system. And then there's the maybes. And this is for companies that do manual reviews. There's a lot of companies these days that are really relying on machine learning and really analytics to determine, you know, to tighten up their rules as much as they can without having a ton of false positives, and not having manual reviewers. But there's still a pretty big chunk of merchants, I would say the majority of them that do have manual review fraud analysts. And I know that a lot of the people that we that listen to us are either fraud analysts or manage fraud analysts. So I really liked this question, because, you know, when you're looking at a manual review, so the maybes, the things that the system thinks are, they're not all the way good, but they're not all the way bad. That's where the maybes go. And that's, you know, where manual review takes place. And that's what the analysts are looking at. And they're really adding the human component to it. And I think it's very important. We're actually more than likely having someone from a very large merchant talking about, you know, the human element of fraud prevention, you know, when there's just so much focus on machines to do everything and so we're working out the the final particulars to get him on the agenda for CMP but I thought it was really important to talk about and I think a lot of people are always looking for ways to manually review orders faster or more efficiently and streamlining it we're not going to dive into that as much today but what we are going to talk about is one component of manual reviews so when a manual reviewer is looking at an order they're looking at you know they're pulling up public records data, either paid or free, they're probably looking at social media, all these different things to determine is the person who's placing the order the same person whose card it is. And sometimes you get in a situation where it's really 50 50. I think that's you know, what our our friend Julia wanted to hear is, you know, having us talk about when do you when do you when do we recommend that merchants call the phone number on the order? because it's really time intensive and also it can tell you things, but it also, you know, may not be helpful. But some of the things that it can tell you off the bat are, well, if the phone number that they provided on the order is disconnected, that tells you something. Mm -hmm. If the phone number that they give you, goes to an automated system or whatever that tells you something the phone number they give you might be the one that is registered to the cardholder or it may not and so the first thing I would say is before you decide to call somebody do all the rest of the work because they may not answer they may not you know there's just so many different things you don't want to rely on that plus it can take a while but on those big dollar items that you really really using every system you have can't figure it out. I think it makes sense to call the phone number, but I do think that you should verify with public records data if that phone number is registered to the person or not. It's difficult with cell phones, but there are a couple companies that have cell phone record data for users, and so they can tell you who the phone number is registered to. So that's one option But just kind of try to do your homework on who you're calling, if it is the registered phone number for the cardholder or not, because I think that that phone call goes two different ways, right? So if you're calling the cardholder, you're asking like, hey, did you place an order on our system? Like if you know that that's the cardholder. But then there's this case where you may not know if it's the cardholder or not. And that's kind of where I'll stop so that you can kind of talk about the Carter perspective on that. (laughs) And then we can go from there, because I think that you know you have a lot to say as well on this topic from your perspective. so I'm interested to hear that.
1: Sure. So um, just to backtrack a little bit there. An experienced carter knows about the phone number system within uh, within merchant systems. All right. Now when you buy a card, typically it comes with the uh, with the correct phone number on file. But as I said, an experienced carter knows about whether a company is has access or not, and you alluded to that. Uh, has access to what should be the proper number, and and <laughs> I don't think there's much need of going over that. But it's it's an important thing to note. So uh, more of your most fraudsters will use the correct phone number unless that fraudster needs or understands there's going to be an incoming call. And at that point, he's going to put another phone number on. Now, what type of phone number is he going to put on? Could be a voiceover IP, could be a prepaid phone, any number of things like that. It really depends on the system that he's trying to defraud. Now, Julia was was talking about asking a lot of these, what type of questions should they ask and things like that. I have been asked that same question by merchants and really by a lot of financial institutions. What question should we ask for verification? And usually, when they when they ask me that question, I burst out laughing maniacally because I know that a fraudster has the answers or can get the answers to that. And and here's here's the way this thing works. So a fraudster buys a credit card. Uh, credit cards run anywhere from eight dollars up to twenty dollars, depending on the bin, the gender the location of the card so he buys that for eight to twenty dollars once he buys that depending on the system that he's going to hit what which merchant he's going to hit will determine how much work he needs to actually put in before he places the order okay so if he's
0: just looking how does he know like what merchant has what, what merchant he has to do more work for than others is it experience is it forums is it based on the dollar amount?
1: It's, it's a combination of all of those. So what we're looking at is we're looking uh, say the guy's wanting cell phones. Okay, so he's targeting Apple. So for him to hit Apple, he has to really do a lot of research. He's going to read terms of service. He's going to read shipping policies. He's going to read payment policies. He's going to try to find out when the order is actually processed compared to when he inputs the order. He's going to walk through the entire process of how that order goes through. Now, if the order fails, okay, now there's a few things a fraudster can do at this point he can go to the forums he can read and say okay who has had experience with this company what do they do and and the good thing about from a criminal perspective, the good thing about these forums is they, change, they exchange a lot of information. They share these things. So they share, okay, they're asking for house color. They're asking for date of birth. Five minutes later, they're asking what your zodiac sign is. They're asking stuff like that. So the fraudster knows before he even calls in to place the order exactly what the process is or before he places the order online, he knows if the company's going to call back or any, anything else like that. Uh, if he doesn't know, if it's a brand new target that's not being mentioned, on these forums that he's looking at so it's uh, say it's some outdoors company that he's there's some specific item in that one specific company that he's looking for what he's going to do is he's going to search through the site he's going to see how well the site's laid out and everything what does it look like does it look like it's an expensive site because if it's an expensive site it may have pretty decent security on it he's going to read the terms of service the shipping policies the payment policies the processing policies he's going to look at other companies in the same vertical that that how their security works and try to find information on those same company on those other companies in the same vertical on the forums to see how they process orders as well, okay? Even after he does all that, if he doesn't have the all an, the the answers, what I used to do is I would place an order, I would set up an account using my real name to see what the process was like. And then I would start screwing around with my real pro, my real account on that system, so I would get them to call me to see what type of questions they would ask or how that phone call went. Uh, one of the big things, one of the, uh, I'm real big on B and H photo. I, I, I think they've got great security today that no one else can, can really copy because they do manual reviews out the wazoo. But
0: <laughs> <laughs> They do. I, I actually know that do. team.
1: <laughs> so, But when I first defrauded that company, what happens is, is, um, The way it worked with me, I I had a stolen credit card. I went to order two of these uh, Canon XL uh, uh, camcorders. Uh, It's like a $6,000 order. Of course, they called to verify. And one of the questions they asked during the call was, what color is your home? Well, hell, I didn't know that. It was a drop address. I didn't pay any attention to that. So, of course, I missed that. But what happens after that is every single... CNP fraudulent order that I went to put in, I looked up the house color of every single home that I was using as a
0: drop. So I knew what that color was in case it was asked. Uh, See, that was one fraud- of my favorite questions to ask fraudsters, but not sure. what color is your home. It was what color is your neighbor's house. Right. And that works um, for one and, time. and, you know, six years ago, <laughs> that worked. <laughs> right. <laughs> you
1: know, it works the first time you throw them off. And then the next time, okay, I know what color the neighbor's homes are. What, what else mm. have you got? so it's there's
0: uh, that quick learner in you again <laughs> well
1: it's it's not just me it's this change of information on there so typically what a carter does um, i mean he can have a notepad opened on on the laptop that he's using but what we used to do and what i've heard a lot of guys still doing today is you've got an actual paper notepad there that's got all of these things written down date of birth age zodiac sign address color poem bam 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 whatever he needs to answer as the questions being asked he just scans through the notebook there's the answer to that what else have you got <laughs> so that's that's one of the reasons that i that i chuckle when when a company asks me what type of questions because a question i think there's some i think there's a misunderstanding between the good guys and the bad guys on what a kba question is uh, from the bad guys' perspective, any question they can actually find the information to is a KBA question, and it's fine to ask any of those. Uh, it may take a, an order or two to uh, to find out what those questions are, but they're going to have the answer to those questions.
0: That brings up the question I think everyone's asking, right? Is like, well, then what do we do because? You know, you've got to, You when you're making that phone call as a fraud analyst, you don't know if it's the cardholder or a fraudster, but you have a pretty good feeling that it probably is. But you don't want to be too aggressive or mean because it could totally be the cardholder. And so that's why, you know, we've asked questions like that because if you are the true cardholder, you know that answer and you may not think anything of it I used to call and just say like hey we you know I would never say I was from the fraud department but I would just say you know hey we just wanted to thank you for your order (laughs) how did you find out about our service you know our website like just chit chat with them and it wasn't what they said it was how they said it right like if there was a pause or something like that that would indicate to me, you know, there's, <laughs> there's a real difference between I made a big order online and somebody's calling me to verify it. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, I got it for my kid. You know, I'm answering it quickly. And also, it just sounds very organic. Whereas, you know, a lot of times, especially bad fraudsters are like, uh, well, uh, uh, I liked it. And uh, so like, I got it because I but they do, they've gotten a lot better over the years. So the obvious question to ask you is, if you were a manual reviewer, and you weren't 100% sure, because, I mean, if you're 100% sure it's fraud, you're not going to take the time to call, right? You're just going to cancel right. the order. So, you know, what would be some questions that you would ask that would help clarify one way or another if you should approve the order or not? Well, see,
1: that's that's the thing. There's no real questions that I would ask. It's I mm. think it's the way that I would ask them. So I would do a lot of backtracking um, that that whole technique that we encountered when we first started carding in the uh, in the early two thousands of date of birth, then you get them on the phone. It was the banks that started this kind of thing. Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So the bank would get you on the phone, date of birth. You'd give them the date of birth, and they'd say oh, they'd wait a few minutes. And you're 35. Is that how old you are? And you'd say yes. And that would be the first catch right there. Did you pass that? Then they may wait a few more minutes. And what's your zodiac sign? and see if you would catch that so you set backtracking but the problem with that of course is that once a fraudster and that capital one was very good about doing that but uh once a fraudster went through the cap one questions to begin with he knew what to expect the next time around okay so they're asking this and and not only just him but every single person was that was defrauding that system at the time. They would get together, write tutorials. This is these are the questions that are asked. This is the process. This is this is when they'll transfer you over to this other department and you're basically screwed at that point. So that, that was a lot of it. So I think that really it, it boils down to the way that you're asking the questions, employing those those backtracking techniques as well, but also throwing these, uh, these just these weird questions out there. So, it's not just first car, but ask them ask them a question that has nothing to do with anything that they p- could possibly know. It's just to see how they feel it okay that's that's the thing I think
0: right well, and I mean the other thing is that that's just reminded me of when you were talking about that is about 10 11 years ago Discover Card changed their KBA questions. So you know, it used to be mother's maiden name, date of birth, those kind of things. Then they had like a list of 25 KBA questions and they also yeah. ended up being security questions as well like to you know access your account online as well as over the call center. And they just thought like okay, this is going to 100 I I mean based on based on nothing but my perspective of the way the press releases went and everything else, I think they were thinking like, this is going to be the silver bullet. I'm using quotation marks. You know, this is going to stop everything. And, but the thing is, is once they publish those questions and that quickly became surveys on Facebook, when Facebook, Absolutely. everyone was doing those personality surveys for a long time. I mean, like 10 years ago, I think they started on my space and then they carried over into Facebook of like, you know, what was the name of your first pet? And, you know, what was your high school mascot? Well, the reason that those surveys got created was so that fraudsters could know the answers to people's <laughs> security That's it. questions. That's it there literally team. was a survey out there on Facebook that was all 25 questions of Discover Card. And then they could track like who was using it and stuff. And most profiles at that point were public. So, you know, it's like, geez. So I think that you're absolutely right that like once there's a standard uh, of questions that a company asks that they get, out there, I think coming from the merchant perspective, I don't think that there are very many fraud departments that have a list of questions that they always ask. But I think that that's kind of why they're asking, right? Is like, is there a question that we can ask right. that we'll just know 100%? But to your point, if there was, it would only work the first few times, right? And then they'd Absolutely. tell each other. Absolutely.
1: <laughs> so then what's the alternative? And, and, you know, the, the thing is, is that human beings are are creatures of habit. So while while there may not be a set question that you would ask, through whatever fraud department you've got, those questions are going to come up again and again and again because we're creatures of habit. We get used to asking that. This is a good question to ask. We'll use this one. Well, okay. Right. It
0: worked last time. Right. Right.
1: Right. (laughs) So, you know, (laughs) ask ask some weird question like, uh, where'd you go on vacation three years ago? I couldn't even <laughs> tell you where I went on vacation 3 years ago and it doesn't matter. That's the thing it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. What You don't have to, you're
0: saying that the fraud analyst doesn't need to know the answer. Not at all. He just okay. Needs to know how
1: the person is is answering the question. Right. Okay? That hmm. that's the big thing I think that if, how how good is the fraudster at being on his toes? At, at right. being able to react and react react quickly. Right. When you throw them that curveball all of a sudden. So throw that out. Also throw the, uh, throw the, 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 what I call the KBA questions in there, you know, cross streets, house colors. Well, and, and, and the thing is, I don't care what the question is. A good fraudster is going to know the answers at some point. He may not know the first order, but by God, by the time the third order comes through, he's going to know what those answers are. Um, right. but, but still the combination of all that together, but you know, it's like we say all the time, there's no silver bullet for fraud. So right. you have to use a layered approach. Okay, is the order coming through on a different device, different IP? Mm. or the IPs flagged or the address is flagged? Is the address out of area? I mean, all these other things should give you enough of, a, of an idea that when you call and ask, okay, why on earth are we shipping this product over here instead of to your home or business that's on file? Right. Then, then the fraudster says, well, my, my, my daughter goes to school there. You could look at the address and say, okay, it is in the housing district of Auburn University or wherever you're going. Okay. Right. And and you can figure it out from there.
0: Well, I used to really enjoy kind of messing with fraudsters. I mean, I remember a couple of times where I had like a circle of people around me. One guy, you know, had a sob story and all that stuff. And I should say that on a future episode, we're going to be really diving into social engineering and the type of social engineering calls that you'll get claiming a tragedy or those kind of things. But there's one story that just came to my brain that I thought would be kind of fun to share. I don't think I've ever shared it on the podcast, but it's one of my okay. favorite fraud stories. And it has to do with a phone call. So when I worked for Bag or Steel, I think you've heard, I think I've told you this story before offline, but when I worked for Bag Buyer Steel, you know, I had a few analysts on my team that mostly did things, but if there was like a really big order or something kind of fishy, they'd pass it off to me. And there was an order of a woman who had never ordered before, who wanted about $40,000 worth of handbags and accessories to rent for a week, <laughs> which was like red alarm, red alarm. And then she had used six different credit cards, which had all declined. That were in her name, but then she used a different person's name on the order that went through on the card that went through it was a different cardholder name. So she's the cardholder address is completely different. The cardholder name is completely different than the shipping address and name. And then on top of that, she's tried a bunch of cards and everything else. So I'm like, I'm just gonna call her like, what in the heck? Because there were other things, though, that looked legitimate, like I could verify, you know, that she was a real person and all of that. And so It was kind of on the fence. So I called the phone number on file and it was like an accountant's office or like a personal um, bookkeeper type place. And I asked for the cardholder Um his name was Steven Tellerico. I remember it clear as day. <laughs> I don't remember all my fraud stories, but this one I, I've told enough times at like cocktail parties and stuff that <laughs> not that I go to a lot of cocktail parties, but, you know, <laughs> I, I've told it enough over the years. It's been like 10 years that I remember it. And so I asked for Steven Tellerico, and the woman was like, oh, he you know, he's unavailable. He won't be back for like 60 days or something. It was either 30 or 60 days. I think it was 60 days. I was like, huh, well, do you know an Erin, I can't remember her last name, so I guess I don't remember everything clear as day, but Erin, <laughs> whatever, you know, was she, is she there? And she's like, no, but I can, she, she kind of did a sigh, like, Ugh. and she goes, no, but I can have her call you. And I was like, okay, well, here's the situation. And, you know, I told her and I said, you know, we have a policy because it was in the middle of the recession and everything else that if somebody wants to borrow over $10,000 worth of items, we do a credit check and I just need the cardholder's permission for a credit check And the woman said, well, I'll have her call you. Okay. So the lady, the person that placed the order called in and it was transferred to me. And I started asking her questions and was like, so who's Steven Tallarico? Oh, he's my boyfriend. And she sounded like (laughs) so like stoned. Just like, oh, he's my boyfriend. Oh, okay. Well, I need to talk to him so that I can check his credit report. Because you're ordering a lot of things and you haven't, you know, borrowed from us before. And we just want to make sure, you know, we can get our stuff back. Oh, he's away. Okay. <laughs> he won't be back for 60 days. Hmm. Okay, that's what the bookkeeper said. She kept saying he's away. And I'm like, huh, okay. And I said, well, can you tell me why you, know, you used a bunch of credit cards? Like how come you used a lot of credit cards and then used his? And her answer was like my favorite thing, and I used to quote it all the time for like a year whenever anyone would ask me to do something. So I say, you know, how come you know, – you, tried all your cards and then you had to use his card because I'm all tapped out, baby. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, Oh, okay. I'm all tapped out. So whenever anyone would ask me to do something, I'd be like, I'm all tapped out, baby. (laughs) (laughs) And I just went, Oh, okay. Well, you know, so I kind of went through and I was like, why are you you know, shipping it here and asking questions? She sounded legitimate, but it was like, you know, and especially with the bookkeeper's office going in, but I was like, who is this guy? Right? Like, who is this mysterious guy that's away? Um, And so I ended the conversation with, look, I I can't in good faith, send these to you without talking to the cardholder and running his credit. Because, you know, the way that our terms and conditions work is that if you don't return the items, then we send him to collections. And she's like, oh, that'll never happen. He'll pay it off. And I'm like, well, (laughs) okay, how do I know that? So we got off the call and, you know, I canceled the order and said, you know, when he can call back, then we'll let you borrow again or you can put it on your own card. Sure. And I... Get off the phone, and I'm like, Who is this guy that he's away? Usually, I know that that's what they say, like, when someone's in prison, that they're away. <laughs> he's, so, he's I'm thinking, away
1: at the moment,
0: <laughs> right? Exactly, for the next, and for for the next three days, to five, <laughs> right? Yeah, for 60 days, it's very specific. It's not like, Oh, he's on a business trip or whatever. And they wouldn't say why, they just said he's away. And so, I'm like, Huh, is he a mobster? Like, I think that Mob Wives is out then, or something. And I was like, picturing since she kind of sounds strung out, like, maybe. Oh, yeah. Maybe they're in, he's in the mob or something, and he's away. And so I Google the name Stephen Tallarico. And fun fact, there's actually a pizza place in Seattle that's really good called Tallarico's. So I was like, oh, maybe he's related to them. Like I don't know, maybe he's Are Italian. Are they in the- over there? It- <laughs> I don't think Seattle has mobs. You were the I one that know. said mob wives, not me. I know. <laughs> no, I know. I just don't think Seattle has mobs. I, I could be wrong. But I, I always think well, they of it. Would
1: wear, you know, their hair would be down in their eyes. They'd have little soul wisp and all that. And kind of, kind of mumble song lyrics.
0: <laughs> right? That's a Seattle mobster. Wear a lot of
1: flannel <laughs> <Jeez>.
0: <laughs> And they take you out if you don't compost. it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in on the joke. I get it. <laughs> Speaking of stereotypes, I always assume like most of the mob is on the East Coast. That's my assumption. That's probably from television. But anyway, I'm getting off track. So as always, so I <laughs> and you and I together are the worst. So I Google the name Stephen Tallarico. And if anyone hasn't hasn't done it yet on your phone as you listen, Stephen Tallarico is the legal name for Stephen Tyler, the lead singer of Aerosmith. This woman, Aaron, was his girlfriend at the time, and Stephen was away because he was in rehab. (laughs) It was shortly after he had had like a fall in Brazil and hit his head in the shower or something like that due to drugs and all the pictures in Us Weekly and stuff of them together. So I could verify, oh, yeah, Aaron is his girlfriend, whatever. She also probably should have been in rehab but wasn't. She really looked like Courtney Love at the time. When I googled them a few years ago just out of curiosity, she had cleaned up her act and and it looks like they're both living very healthy. And I, and I'm very grateful for that. Are, are they still together? I believe oh I haven't looked in a few years, but I believe so. I just
1: thought uh, I'd ask. I mean if if Stephen's eligible
0: you want to date him
1: i'm just i'm just throwing that out there i mean i'm happily married but i could i could talk to the guy on the side
0: right i think they got married but i'm looking now nope they're not still together because this girl's name is amy and i'm pretty sure the other one's name was aaron yeah aaron brady yep they're not together anymore it looks like they split in 2013 Oh, according to the go. Daily Mail. Not that this is a celebrity gossip podcast. I'm but, just saying, it sounds but, like you're stalking
1: the guy. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just throwing um,
0: that out there. I stalking really easily. <laughs> Plus, you can take the girl out of the fraud department, but you can't take the fraud department out of the girl. <laughs> I am constantly like Googling and Facebook stalking people. It just comes so natural <laughs> because I was so used to it back in the day. So I think once we have those skills and once we hone our guts, I think that... You know, it just comes naturally, right? Like, oh, my friend's dating someone new. I'm going to check him out. That actually came in our favor because I found out that one of the guys that my best friend was dating was married at the time and had told her that he wasn't anymore. That Facebook stalking and training from fraud departments come in real handy sometimes. Oops. Oh, by the way, this like, one looks like he's married. Right? He doesn't know me, but uh, <laughs> looks like, you know, and my friend trust- his
1: wife's phone number if you want to talk to her.
0: Right? Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. yeah, so sometimes it comes in handy or not handy, depending on it. <laughs> this friend in particular, I'm I'm like the protective big sister because she knows how to pick them. But <laughs> I love her very much. Luckily, she doesn't listen to the podcast. There you go.
1: There
0: you go. <laughs> I'm not talking about any of our listeners who I also know a lot of their relationship stuff too. Just letting you know. But well, we could start. We could start. It I could was... be a new segment. No, 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 no. I used to joke that I could do the S Weekly of fraud, like who cheats on their spouse the most at conferences and who's doing, <laughs> you know, drugs in the bathroom. If I publish that, I think I'd have to be ready to retire. So, because I don't <laughs> think people would trust me anymore. So, you know, and I value everyone's trust a lot. That's why I'm a lockbox. I always say, I know I talk a lot, but I'm really selective about what I talk about.
1: I am and, too. I am. Yeah, too. I know. Yeah. People, <laughs>
0: a lot behind the curtain. Just nobody knows it because we talk so much. <laughs> All of that to say. i have a sealed so box. Great. I don't
1: talk about anything
0: or anyone. <laughs> Especially off air. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Maybe that'll be like our extra bonus stuff. Like if we ever do Patreon or something like that, we'll be like, you get access to what Carice and Brett talk about before the that's podcast. Right. That's uh... where the
1: real podcast is. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Oh, no. Now we're making people have FOMO. No. So anyway, my I told my Steven, uh, Steven Tyler story because that's a good example of calling somebody and figuring out, okay, they are who they say they are, but based on our business model, because I needed my stuff back. I didn't feel good about it. There were plenty of other stories where, you know, I'd ask questions like that and they'd be like, "Uh, uh, well, I, you know, those kind of things are like one guy I just remember had like the longest sob story ever about why he needed an Hermes handbag. And I I just had so much messing with him at that point like I knew 100% he was full of crap so I just I at that point had like a circle of people around me and I wish I remembered more of the details of that story but I don't because it was a long time ago so that's you know that's an example of when calling somebody can really fill in the blanks because you're really only looking at data on a screen right and you're trying to deduce what's going on without you know a lot of context about knowing the person or anything like that because that's the difference between card not present payments and card present payments you're not staring the person in the face
1: well and, and you did something that uh th- that we've not that we've been alluding to but we've not really mentioned out loud and that that is using every one of these keys every one of these parts to u- to put together some deductive reasoning right. and come to the conclusion that okay this is fraud or it's not fraud and, right. and that's that that goes beyond just what questions do we ask right it's using every single part together as a whole
0: Yes. And I think that fraud analysts are really good at that. They're looking at every little piece. Okay. They use a, a new device or they use a device that's linked to another order or, you know, every little piece to tell the whole story. And that's something I love about fraud because I'm all about human behavior and sociology and stuff. And I think, you know, you can really, all the data can tell a story, but sometimes, you need like that final chapter of the story, which would be calling the phone number. So the other phone call you can make beyond the card holder is you can call the bank for extra information, they can answer yes, no questions. That requires, you know, long hold time and all of that. So at Expedia got very used to bank hold music, there was one particular bank that always had 80s music. (laughs) But that was more for like research and stuff on the friendly fraud project I did. So I wasn't waiting to give somebody their hotel room at that point it was already after the fact and I was researching car uh chargebacks to create a process and stuff so um that was a little different but I think that really you know calling the card holder is a little more time effective and like I said a lot of times if the phone is you know not working then that's it one question I wanted to ask you also is, you kind of mentioned it before, but do carders know if a company calls the cardholder sometimes? Like, do they know that okay, they might call or they always call? I mean, are those things that they talk about?
1: So, so sure, and that, that's usually by trial and error. So, so and but here's here's the th- here's the thing with the way this thing actually works. So, if one person is is, is placing an order, if it were just one person trying to figure that stuff out by trial and error would take a long time but when you've got a community of say like alpha bay where you've got 240,000 members probably 40,000 fraudsters within that group they all work together and they all share that information so the trial by error t- type of mentality or or t- the way of testing things is pretty quick at that point you you understand pretty quickly if this this computer company is calling back to verify orders or what would make that company call back to verify orders? You know, where, where is the mess up on the fraudster side that causes that action to happen? So it's because of that, that structure, that platform of cybercrime that we have today, that things work so well. It's, a lot of it is trial and error, but it, it's being done by hundreds or thousands of people on one specific type of system. And they figure out pretty quickly where those holes are or what causes an action to happen or anything else like that.
0: That goes back to collaboration. The bad guys collaborate, so we have to, too. We've said that so much. I've been in a few articles recently where I talk about that it's kind of our, our mantra right now. So they're basically going to forums and probably searching for the merchant and seeing everything that people post about it. Is that how it works? Cause I just couldn't imagine sure, so, it'd be like uh, a full-time job reading everything in forums. Well, I mean, and, and there's a nice search
1: function on all the forums and all that. So say if I'm wanting and I'll use Apple because every Carter on the planet wants to hit Apple or Amazon. So I'll, right. <laughs> I'll use Apple as an example. So, Carter wants to hit Apple. What he'll do is he'll, if he has no real experience at all, he'll go to one of these forums and he'll type in Apple and see what the the response is. And usually the response is, okay, it's not happening. It's it's just too difficult to do that. Find another seller of the same item is usually the response. But that's usually what happens is the fraudster, any fraudster worth his salt is going to do proper research either on the forums, on on the website itself, indictments, anything else like that.
0: So indictments, you mentioned that you're looking at, does this company do any investigations and hand them over to law enforcement, which is something I very much believe that companies should have an arm of investigate, like post-transaction investigations and working with law enforcement. I know we said before we were going to have a merchant come talk about it. I had a merchant all lined up and then their PR department scrapped it. <laughs> and I understand, but at the same time, I feel like it's good deterrence, right? It's similar to having a home security sign outside your house.
1: Yeah. Let me put it to, to everyone else out there like this. Yeah. If you are not If you have the evidence to press charges on a criminal and you are not, you are an idiot. That's as clear as I can put it right there. You are an idiot.
0: I would say that the majority of our listeners would love to do that. It's other departments within their company that feel like, you know, we're not really getting any money out of it because it takes so long and everything else. And we're probably not going to get any money. And also, a lot of companies tried to send stuff to law enforcement like five, ten years ago. And. It just wasn't getting picked up some law enforcement didn't even understand online fraud i mean i think i've said this before but i once had to explain to the head of the identity theft task force of the new york police department what a proxy ip was because he was like i don't understand how this person was in idaho and then they were in minnesota and then they were in arizona within an hour and i'm like yeah they're probably using a proxy what so they didn't know it so they they would turn it down also even now there's so many cases and the law enforcement agencies that do work on e-commerce, like Secret Service, FBI sometimes, I will say the Postmaster General, their office has actually been picking up a lot more cases recently than than most, and there's a lot of merchants that have had good luck with them for physical goods items, so that's you know one way, but a lot of them say... If it's a case under, you know, a certain threshold, then they won't take it. And you also have to find an agent that wants the case. You have to build the case for them. It kind of has to be like on a Tuesday when they eat breakfast on a full moon you know, and when they're wearing brown shoes, you know, like sometimes it's hard to get them to take a case. So <laughs> you know, I'm trying I, I, I to I like dampen the, the idiot statement. Cause I think that there's a lot of people I, I, I that want to do it.
1: <laughs> I cannot, I cannot dampen that statement. I can't.
0: No, and I understand right. you can stand behind uh, it.
1: And, and, and here's why, I mean, I understand that that perception of whether you be, uh, uh, the fraud, the fraud group that's over in the UK or law enforcement over here or whatever, there's this, there's this huge perception that a lot of Uh, victims either as consumers or businesses have that law enforcement simply they won't act on it the truth of the matter is is that your failure to report a crime only makes the crime easier for criminals to continue to commit that's it all right This, this this idea that that okay it has to be a certain dollar amount Okay, yeah, okay. You're right. It for federal law enforcement to pick a lot of things up, it has to cross a threshold of a dollar amount. You're absolutely mm. right on that. But what happens is is that every single report adds to that dollar amount. So by you not reporting that, the only thing you're doing is the criminal says, "Okay, nothing happened." Guess what? I I'm a brand new Carter. And I ordered this product, this this new game console to my house, no one even knocked. You know what he does at that point? He actually posts that on these forums so all these other new carters mm-hmm. can do the exact same thing because he knows you're not going to do anything.
0: Right. No, I 100% agree. And I, I have felt very strongly that... It's important for merchants to work with law enforcement. And actually, I know that the FBI really wants to work with merchants more. That's why one of the keynotes at CMP is the head of the FBI field office in San Francisco, because he wants to work with merchants. I think that they burned a lot of bridges several years ago, and and that's too bad. And they know it. But there are, you know, ECTF task force in every major city, electronic Crimes Task Force is what they stand for. There's other things, too, that you can get involved in. I think that, you know, when you – the best and most successful companies and people that I know that have done this, a lot of them are former law enforcement. I have a good friend who is former Secret Service who I am working on having come on the podcast and talk about what he's done because it's just Oh, that will be fun. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> He's the one that gave me a lot of crap about hiring Brett the first time. And like, can he stand me yet? Or
1: is he is he still in the in the, the mode of I can't skepti- stand Johnson? No,
0: no, no. He's 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 skeptical, <laughs> but he's you know, a little optimistic more so because you've done it for a while. I think he's actually used to the same analogy that you have before that being a cyber criminal is like being an alcoholic. And I said, Yeah, absolutely. And the fact that Brett recognizes that and says that means that you guys are both agree and actually i think you guys tell
1: tell him the cowboy up and come on the podcast
0: (laughs) he's working on it with his (laughs) with his pr department but i'm gonna have to like corral you a little bit for that one because you're gonna want to like start stuff and i'm gonna to want to have him talk about how he's been so successful about working with law enforcement for two major huge companies so we're gonna to have to figure that out but
1: well you know if it's a major company i would just talk i wouldn't talk about his role in it i would just talk about you know if it were like facebook i'd talk not. about how they were screwing
0: up. <laughs> right right but i mean i think that what's most important for our listeners to hear is how he's doing this successfully We'll we'll talk about that later (laughs) he's been very successful and part of the reason is that for the first few years he was on the private sector working for a very large ticketing company he went to each ECTF meeting. He had a manager that was awesome, who I'm also friends with, who thought that that was really important. And he built up those relationships. And then he also knew exactly how to build a case and what to do. And uh, he was supposed to speak at CMP this year. And then he realized it's his daughter's 10th birthday. And he's like dad of the year. So um, and he actually lives in Kentucky. He works remote for a large company in the Bay Area. And so He's staying in Kentucky for his daughter's birthday, so I'm ah. bummed about that that he won't be there. But I'm working on having someone else from another large company sure. who's been successful. But honestly, what's sad is that I can only think of less than ten online companies that have investigative departments. That you see, that's what's so interesting. The ones right that
1: do are all about pursuing things.
0: They are and getting it in who, the news right. because they the know don't. The ones
1: who don't, you know what I call them? I call them victims. Right. That's it. I mean, I, I'm I'm sorry, but I I am adamant. I am adamant that anyone that breaks the, breaks the law, that's an adult, needs to serve some prison time. When you don't pursue charges, when you don't report, you're just letting that person go out and
0: victimize other people. You're, you really are like a former alcoholic, right? Yes. Like you're the <laughs> you're the worst about it. No, but in the very best way, I think because you know you learn your lesson. Unfortunately, the majority of cyber criminals that do go to jail don't learn their lesson they're still doing stuff behind bars so but you're right I mean I think that to your point if they're looking on the forums or looking online to see indictments and things like that they're probably not finding it for a lot of companies and that's just encouraging them to do it more and it's something that I've believed in so much that I have you know asked the people that I know that are doing it well to talk about it and help merchants understand and learn but help them learn that it is possible It can be difficult though because you don't have a standing ROI. It's not a return on investment. It's not like you can say, okay, we have a million dollars in chargebacks, and if we are looking at fraud and we reduce fraud, we can then cut that in half. Okay, that's a five hundred thousand dollar ROI, and we're hiring maybe two analysts at sixty thousand dollars a year. Okay, we're still getting a lot more money than what we're putting in with. investigations on the back end, it's a harder thing because you don't know if the cases are going to be accepted or any of those things. The one other thing I would say, though, is that a lot of merchants don't realize this, but and I know you know this, and I think we probably talked about it on another episode, but I just think it's good to explain that it's not when you're adding up the losses for a fraud ring or a fraudster. It's not just the successful losses that turned into chargebacks. It's every single attempt.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: even if it got a decline from the bank, even if your fraud team declined it. And so that can bump up the dollar value. And then there's also merchants that contact other merchants like in their vertical and say, hey, have you been hit by these guys? Maybe we can go together on a case. And so that's, you know, an option as well. I think, you know, we'll dive into this even more when I finally can get my buddy on the podcast yeah, he's yeah cowboy up buddy <laughs> oh, it's not him it's just PR <laughs> department it sounds like it's promising but I've been working on getting someone for the last several months to talk about this because I can talk about their experiences but it's way better to hear about it from them it's just you know difficult because it's on a public forum and all that so we understand that but I even told him like we could you know not say his name if that was easier but we'll get, anyway like,
1: a voice changer too like he's behind the veil on TV and everything, we'll get the voice changer looking about like my name is Duper Duper,
0: go like that. You sound like the sweetest shaft from the movie. <laughs> duper Duper. Oh my goodness! <laughs> All right, everyone who says we like our you guys like like our side tracks. There you go. <laughs> I'm
1: just saying. Come on down. The door's open.
0: Oh, I know. I know. Well, and I was actually really looking forward to him being at CMP so I could introduce you guys because <laughs> I actually think you guys are a lot more sim- similar than different even though you know you, you started out your careers on different sides of the fences I think you guys personality wise are pretty <laughs> similar for better or worse you both like to give me crap so you have that in common <laughs> well that's a plus <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I'm just everybody's little sister in the fraud fraud Believe industry it, I'll tell you what he can come on and
1: he's like durka 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 and I'll translate for him how about I'm like,
0: that? oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> he says that Brett Johnson is awesome. That's exactly <laughs> right. Oh, geez. Okay, so back, a, to phone, to back to phone calls. <laughs> that was a very long detour. <laughs> so from all your experience, I think it's fascinating to hear like how much work they do and stuff. I mean, I, I can't help but think about like all the... All the fraudsters that are just doing brute force or credential stuffing with bots as well, they're not doing as much of their homework, but their their tactics or strategies are more just let's throw as many orders as we can and see what sticks. It sounds like from your experience, being a Carter who is working for something big, you're going to do all of your homework. If you're dealing with someone like that, What would be some additional things that you would not just ask them and talk about, but like, what are some additional things you would do that you feel like would poke holes? Or do you feel like because they all work together and stuff that they know merchants probably better than we know ourselves and, you know, we're still out of luck? (laughs) Like, what's the answer here?
1: (laughs) I, I think that the problem is, is that. You know, And I say it a lot of presentations. The problem is is that 99% of the fraudsters out there are social engineers of varying skill levels. So you're dealing with a social engineer. You're dealing with someone who knows how to manipulate a human into doing what they want that human to do. All right, And because of that, I think that more fraud analysts, more of these people that are doing manual reviews, need to really practice on being better social engineers themselves. Uh, there's there's a saying out there that a con man is very easy to con and there's a lot of truth to that uh, The problem is is that on on the cybercrime side the cyber criminals they don't have to worry about being conned a lot they're they're the ones that are doing the conning so if we had if we had more fraud analysts that were more skilled in social engineering techniques they could actually start using those techniques against potential fraudsters as well during the phone calls Um I think one of the ways that you do that is, you know, the backtracking is a is a technique that you could use. The throwing a question out there that there is there's absolutely no answer to, just to see how the fraudster responds. That's another one. My my thing is is that I I'm I kind of believe that if you're going to pick up the phone and call somebody and ask them questions to try to verify an order, you should already probably have an idea. Whether that order is fraud or not, before you even talk to the guy, uh, that right there should could, could should kind of set the call. The, the way the call itself will go at that point. Are you Are you calling just because it's an out of area order, and you've already done your research, and you see that the order is uh, going to a university, and the you've looked at the guy's social media profile, and you see that okay, he's got a, a couple of sons, a daughter. They're in, they're away to school at this university. I mean, you should already know what's going on with that call or at least have an idea.
0: Right. Well, and I agree with that to an extent. I think, you know, if you know hundred percent that it's a fraudster, then there's no point in calling um, because time is of the essence. And, you know, a lot of companies actually time their manual reviewers uh, for efficiency. Uh, but also, you know, you have a certain, uh, you have a queue that you need to keep working on. So if you already officially know that, you know, 90%, this is a fraudster, then I wouldn't bother. And always instead of knowing 100% and going, okay, I know you're a bad guy. I'm going to mess with you now or whatever. think that it's more about those orders that are really maybe 60-40, right? Like 60%, I think this is probably fraud, but there's 40% that it it could be explained and just even hearing how they answer a question is going to help me or even knowing if they're going to answer the phone. But I think, you know, you can't call them on everyone There are some companies that have really high dollar orders and not a lot of volume that that makes sense for. And and B&H Photo has been one of those in the past. I haven't worked with them in a long time, so I don't know what they're... Doing Now, I think more and more companies are relying on better technology to really be efficient. And I agree with that. It goes back to the layers. I have a slide in one of my presentations I do at conferences that that says that ogres have layers. So fraud departments should too. (laughs) Like an onion. Yes, like an onion. And and it has Trek on it, of course. But it's so true. And I think, you know, it's very important. And the layers can be all different things. You know, every company has different types of layers. But this can be an additional layer, but rely on those other layers first. And really only call when you feel in your gut like it's wrong, but that the details don't totally make it a slam dunk where you can call it confirm fraud and add it to your fraud model and cancel the order so that, and, and, you know, that's why i would say the, that gray uh, area the
1: phone number is is the phone number a voiceover ip is it prepaid uh there are a few systems out there a few security companies that will actually look and see when the phone number was created mm-hmm. as well you could look at things like that
0: how do you um, know if they're voip if they're voip or Prepaid. No, a, um,
1: a simple white pages uh, look up will tell you if it's voice over IP or not. I mean, okay. There are several different. Uh,
0: Probably several with different White Pages Pro as well. Okay.
1: That.
0: Yeah. And, <laughs> and I know and that there's another company.
1: Right. There's a, <laughs> What? We threw a promo for them too. Absolutely.
0: Well, I mean, yeah, they're they're one of a few. There's there's another company I'm thinking of that has a lot more cell phone data, I think. And then there's others that have, you know, they specialize on emails and I know you've worked with them and spoken at their events. Yeah. I, I
1: mentioned that just from the, uh, the fraudster point of view. Fraudsters right. uh, they, they throw that in there because uh, it's easy to use. It's quick. They don't have to right. worry about a lot of stuff.
0: Right. Well, and they, yeah, they'll, they'll probably look up the phone number too, right. And see right. what it looks like or whatever. I know that more often than not, they're using the real cardholders n- number. And so if you're, if you've confirmed it's the real cardholders number and you still aren't sure, then that's a different conversation than, if it's a, you know, VoIP phone number or prepaid phone number and you can't find that registered to the cardholder, um, right. I think I, I if it's a phone number
1: is, is going to be the right, the phone number that is supposed to be with the card.
0: 80%. Right. But it'll probably be their landline, right? And so they're right. just hoping that they're not going to answer or that the well, it depends, it depends
1: on which, what what type of data is fished. I mean, so so my CNP orders, I use my my mobile device for that. I've got a home phone, but uh, it's connected with my mobile device. So it, it depends on... You
0: mean on your legitimate opinion. CMP orders that you do yeah, now?
1: Yeah, okay. the <laughs> legitimate ones. If I were doing you know illegal ones, I'd go and get a prepaid uh, Verizon phone and go like that, or an AT&T phone. So <laughs> that's what I would do. <laughs> but you know, I would just bypass the voiceover IP altogether, try to get one of these prepaid phones that might show up as not prepaid.
0: Mm. Right. Okay, I see. Interesting. <laughs> I think if you're calling the cardholder... It's important just to be, you know, super customer service focused and just be like, hey, you know, I'm calling from this company. There was an order placed in your name. I just wanted to double check that you purchased it. If they're like, oh, yeah, I, I did. Then OK, then then we ask a couple of questions just to verify. But it's you're not treating them as hostily as you would if if you're like, OK, I have no idea who owns this phone number. That's a completely different. Type of call, you're still trying to be nice and customer service focused, but you're a little more skeptical. (laughs) <laughs> I think that, you know, I, I just want to make sure that we had some good takeaways for people. Obviously, you know, working with law enforcement is something that we both think is very important. I know we're probably preaching to the choir for the majority of it. If you're a merchant and you're, you've are you been thinking about it, but you don't know how to sell it to your team or if it would be successful or how to do it successfully, reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email just because I, I can connect you with people that have been doing it really well for some big companies they also feel very passionate that it can happen. And and there might be a couple of them that are looking for a new job as well. And I can hook you up with them too. There are some people that are doing it really, really well. And that's why, you know, I always try to have at least one of them at a conference that I'm organizing. Additionally, calling fraudsters, doing manual review, I think was a really good topic. So thank you, Julia. Hopefully... That this also encourages other people to send us topics as well. I will say that when vendors call us or write to me and say, Hey, I have a topic for you, but I really want to be on the podcast, we are reluctant to do that. We have had a, one vendor sort of come on, you know, Aaron Sherman, and we're having another one come on. Poor Kevin. We've tried to record a podcast with my friend Kevin twice now, and we've wasted his time. I just feel so bad, but we've had technical (laughs) difficulties both times. We never claim to be a seamless operation over here. We are... Always learning. <laughs> we do have a few people here and there from vendors because they're our friends, but also because we know that they're not selling and that they have a lot of really good information. In a month or two, we're going to be offering advertising for vendors. And so, you know, we don't want to make this all about like, oh, you can come on and pitch your product on the podcast just because, you know, merchants have access to all of that already. And so we're just trying to keep it super easy. Uh, vendor agnostic as much as we can, and have it be very education heavy. I mean, if you have a topic and you're not saying, hey, I want to be, but you can only use this if you interview me, then I want to hear that from you too. There are definitely a lot of vendors that are very passionate about this space as well, and education, and we just want to select the right things. There are plenty of other podcasts that just do interviews of of service providers, and that's just not what we wanted this to be. That's my little... (laughs) My little PSA that was not planned at all, but I have I have somebody who's contacted me know, two or three times now trying to you know, get on the podcast. Rant? You can label that a mini rant. Yes, Thank that's you. a mini one. <laughs> you just don't want to be the only one that does rants around here. Is that what you're I'm saying? saying? I'm just saying. There's been a lot of
1: talk about Brett ranting about
0: things. Uh-huh. So. That's true. I have been giving you a hard time about that. So it's only fair you give me a hard time too. It's just I... I have someone that's been very persistent recently, and I'm like, it's not what you know. I never want to be the bad guy, but it's like that's not what it's about. I, I, I think we've mentioned
1: that before. If someone wants mm-hmm. to come on, you tell them come, they can come on, and you know, hey, you know, just don't plug your company. You can mention you who you work for and everything, but it's it's an informative podcast. It's not an advertising right. podcast. If you if you insist on plugging your company, we'll try to bury you on the podcast.
0: <laughs> or we just do not hear it. I think that's I mean, that's better.
1: I'm all I plan Barry. on
0: being in this industry for a long time. So I try really hard not to burn bridges. <laughs> you can get away here, with it a little Here I,
1: I am with the gasoline and the lighter. Let's go. Let's
0: go. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. The one other thing I was going to say that I, I wanted to mention on this podcast, just because I can't it, – it's crazy how many people have contacted me in the last couple weeks about this. There's a lot of people looking for jobs right now in fraud and payments on every level and probably in every geography you can think of. And I recently posted on my LinkedIn, like, show me your job links so that people can look because I love to help people, but it's getting overwhelming for me. And I think that there's some reasons behind that. I mean, there's a lot of companies that don't really have the best attitude about risk, cultures, or just people wanting to a change and wanting a new opportunity. And so if you are... If you have job postings, you know, if you're looking for great people for your company in fraud or payments as well, or chargebacks, I encourage you to look up my LinkedIn post from Friday, March 29th, post them there or reach out to me because I really do want to help this industry in any way I can. And that's one way I can. But I always feel bad when I can't help. And it's just overwhelming right now. So I feel like this could be win-win. Most of the people I know in fraud are really good. Let me ask you this, this is, um, you know, you were saying
1: that, so what do you, what do you attribute? You attribute that to just more people coming into the industry or that companies are deciding that that fraud is just not something they can afford right now to, to be fighting.
0: It's not a layoff situation. I think it's more like the, the attitude towards fraud within a company you know, there's a lot of companies that feel like it's a necessary evil, but they don't really support their teams or their leadership. Or there's not the other thing is a lot of it is that there's just no room for going up within a company. Once you hit manager, there may not be a director or a vice president. And there's people even like, okay, I've done fraud ops for 10 years, I want to do operations now. I think it's a combination of things. There's a lot of people that just feel like their time is up. I mean, Some of the ones I'm thinking of have been at their companies for like five or six years. And the average length of somebody being in a position in fraud, especially, is about two to three years per company. And so I think it's, you know, a lot of it has to do with pay. They don't, you know, because the company doesn't really (laughs) think that fraud is super important, they may not pay them as much as other companies, there's no standardized pay and fraud. I've seen people with the same title with similar companies making $50,000 difference between the two. It's crazy. There's just no, you know, and, and so that's a big part of it. I think it's pay. I think it's challenges. Also, there's, you know, some retailers that aren't doing so good. And some people that work for them want to, you know, leave before they're in a layoff situation. So it just really varies by people. There's some people that I've been surprised by and others that I haven't. But I think between going to MRC and then it just being spring and people feeling like they need a change, it's just been overwhelming how many people have reached out to me. And I, I just can't keep track. I'm not a recruiter. It's not my <laughs> full-time job. That's not what I get paid for. It's something well, I want to help people. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly given it thought. But I like helping people when there's not any like expectations or <laughs> pressure about it. So that's part of it. I, I will say I had a really weird experience the last few weeks with somebody that I was trying to help and I introduced him to people that lived in his area because he he was laid off from his position and I tried to help him in any way I could and but then I, I got pneumonia and then I, I've just been so busy head down and I haven't been able to help him as much. And I found out that he blocked me on LinkedIn because he was so mad at me that I didn't help him get a job. He also was kind of hostile to a friend of mine that I introduced him to in his area who he was expecting him to do things and was like angry texting him last weekend. And I understand that it's a lot of pressure, especially when you have a family, when you don't have a job. I get that. But I feel like when people want to help you for free, like... It's just for me, my rule of thumb is as soon as you start to expect it, I kind of go, I-, I can't help you anymore. I don't think anyone that listens is going to you know, be that way. But just remember, like if somebody is helping you out of the goodness of their heart, they also have a job that they have to do and a livelihood they have we to do. Stuff, and we got stuff to do. Get paid. <laughs> right. Yeah. And a lot of times I think I, I want to help everyone. I want to talk to everyone. And I want to respond to everybody's LinkedIn message. But at the end of the day, I have to prioritize who pays my bills i help where i can but i guess what i'm saying is like that's where i would never want to be a recruiter because man if i'm having somebody block me on linkedin because they're mad that i didn't help them get a job and i'm not being paid for it then how would it be if i was being paid
1: for it well, I, I think a lot of people don't, just don't understand you know i'm i get uh, i don't know 100 200 messages a week yeah and i'm sure i'm sure you get the same thing yeah. and and you know you you're you're doing the podcast, you're doing the CNP, you're doing the speaking. I mean, all this other stuff that, that comes in. And, right. you know, and
0: honestly, I have two merchant clients,
1: yeah. <laughs> there you go. And, and honestly, for my, with me, I just simply forget a lot of things. So yeah. somebody, somebody will ask, can you do this? Yes, I certainly can. Just, you know, and, and I've started saying, just ping me back. If, if right. you've know, yep. not heard from me, just ping me back.
0: I agree. Uh, yeah. I get I, to
1: it as soon as I can. It's just a lot of times I'm, I'm swamped with other things that are paying bills currently.
0: Right. Yeah. And it's not, I mean, it's not because we don't want to help. It's just, right. <laughs> Oh, I have to sleep at some point and I have to spend <laughs> time with my family at some point too. I and mean, we're recording this on a Saturday for God's sake. Like, yeah. We, we work like seven days a week because we both have our own business and we want to help as much as we possibly can. One of the reasons we created the podcast is because we couldn't help individuals, you know, as much as we wanted to. So this is a way to help lots of people. Just, it kind of bummed me out. I I learned that yesterday because I, I had heard of a job that I thought he'd be good for and I went to tag him and was like, oh my gosh, I can't find this guy. (laughs) He's I think blocked he blocked me. me. <laughs> I, I'm like, and I know uh, the last message I got from him was kind of angry, but I just thought, okay, he's, you know, having a bad day. I've never been, I don't think I've ever been blocked on social media. It kind of like hurt my feelings. I'm sure uh, that I have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know I've blocked people for, on LinkedIn because especially when you and I first started working together. Remember that oh, one yeah. guy that was like oh, be a little girl and oh, yeah, you, <laughs> yeah and he was <laughs> accusing you of crimes that you didn't do. And you yep. were like, I've done yeah, plenty. Crimes, yeah, but dude. those aren't ones <laughs> if, that I've done. If you
1: just keep it what well, I've done, you've got more than enough.
0: Exactly <laughs> right. Yeah, but that's different. I wasn't being like hostile or mean or anything. I just simply, I couldn't spend all of my time focusing on finding him a job. And I think he was really upset. And I, I get that, like, you know, we're all in different head spaces and stuff. But just, you know, remember that. And I really love there's so many of our listeners right now that I can think of that I'm like, I just need to sit down and respond to all of them. I love hearing from you. I can't always respond. Sometimes I think I do respond in my head. And then I'm like, Oh, shoot, I never did. But um there's one <laughs> listener that yesterday sent me a note. And he was like, what? Oh my gosh. It, he's he's the one that wrote you that note after the Slate podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. He, we, we adore him and I, I've talked to his team before and stuff and I'm trying to find this note because it was so sweet. It cracked me up. <laughs> he puts in parentheses, relax, read only, no need to respond, just comments. and I was like oh you're so sweet but I do want to respond but yeah I mean I probably get about 10 LinkedIn messages a day and the way it drives me crazy because every time I respond to one then it pushes the rest of them down so I don't always know which ones I've responded to or not and it's just been a lot so bear with us but know that you know our heart's in the right place but I guess all of that to say and this is not meant as a rant more like just a PSA of like we want to help as many people as we can, but we can't help everyone, and that's not really our our job, our paying job. And that doesn't mean it's not important. I feel like sometimes it's more important, but you know,
1: I'm we just saying. I mean, you 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 call yours PSAs, you call mine rants, man. I'm
0: just, well, I'm not just throwing it out there.
1: <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just throwing it out.
0: there. So, do you think that that was a rant? Because I'll I'll own it if you do. I, I mean, just think it was. I,
1: mean, I, I don't think it was. I mean.
0: You just want I
1: mean, I you just want to. If I could call it a rant.
0: You you just want the playing field to be even. I got you. you know,
1: <laughs> I'm, just, I'm still trying to make up for those North Korean comments, man.
0: Oh my goodness! You know it was meant as a compliment too. I'm just, I'm just
1: saying, somebody calls somebody a North Korean defect. I'm a defector. I mean, <laughs> defect. I,
0: mean, I did not call you a defect. <laughs>
1: defect or is it defective? Yeah, That's, that's right. a hard compliment to swallow, you know? That's all I'm saying.
0: Well, those people are extremely valuable to military <laughs> intelligence. And that was what I was trying to say. <laughs> I don't always get it right. Sometimes my analogies aren't perfect. Sometimes I, I have to grab shovel and, <laughs> and dig myself of so, a
1: hole. By all means, you go on with your PSAs. I'll go <laughs> on with my rants. By <laughs> all means. <laughs>
0: Oh, this is why we make such a good team. <laughs> no, it was just on my brain because I I just felt really bad. Like I'm not used to that, and so and I'm such a people pleaser. I'm a recovering people pleaser, but it's like, wait, what? I was actually about to send you a job I thought would be perfect for you, but I guess not now. I mean, then I like think, now. well, do, do I send him an email and say, hey, you know, I'm really sorry. I, like, or or do I just no. realize, like. You know, this guy's in a bad headspace because it sounds like that, because he was like that to another friend of mine. And
1: he doesn't and I, need the job anyway.
0: I think he's like, well, I mean, I think he does need job. I think, you know, I just think that the entitlement piece, I guess, is what bothers me. Because when people are going out of their way, I mean, our... My friend that, you know, lives in the same town as him took him to lunch, you know, all because I introduced them. And then for him to be like, how come you haven't introduced me to people? How come you haven't done this? It's like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're not, you know, we're not paid recruiters. That's not our job. I want to help as many people as I possibly can. But like once there's an expectation there. Kind of doesn't make me want to help anymore.
1: Oh, so that's the way I am. I mean, I'll bend over backwards to help you as much as I can until you get to where you're expecting it, and yep. then that's where the that's where the road ends. My
0: friend. Well, my teenager knows that too, right? I mean, I kind of spoil <laughs> her a lot, especially since I've been gone so much lately. I have serious mom guilt, but I'm like, the second you start expecting it, is the second it goes away, and she knows yeah. it, so she doesn't expect anything. She's just like, "Wow, yeah. oh, mom, thanks." <laughs> I've trained her up on that one pretty good cuz that theme <laughs> of mine and in life in general not just in business. Now, it's different if it's a paying client and they have, you know, expectations and sure. and stuff then I am going to bend, you know, 100% I'll do whatever it takes. This stuff that we do kind of is like public service just because we're in a good spot not, to know yeah, lots I of mean, people, hey, connect people. If you're paying
1: the bills, I'll wear a chicken suit. I'll do whatever you want me to do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
0: Mm, coming soon to a keynote stage near you a former fraudster in a chicken suit
1: i've been trying to find a hoodie so i could wear that on stage bring a couple oh my gosh and
0: then like cover up your face (laughs)
1: little fog machine have me in the shadows on a computer keyboard that kind of thing you know yeah
0: yeah have have the back of the slide be like numbers and you know like the binary code or whatever Green letters of the black background. Yep. I am so tired of that picture being what is said about every single it's posted on every single article about fraud and security. And I know everyone. Oh yeah. I know your friend Chris has made it his mission to comment on every single oh, yeah. post yeah. with yeah. those about yeah. that.
1: He, he's so good about that. I mean, <laughs> I, every day there's a new picture and he's like, it's the Nazgul again. <laughs> Do you yeah. have to keep doing this. Do you, have
0: you know, to that it? reminds me and I actually got you a, present at mrc two weeks ago
1: is he
0: no but <laughs> sort of one of the vendors had it was kind of cute like oh and i have to say actually remember how a few weeks ago i said i've been wanting a vendor to do whack-a-mole yes there was a vendor that had a whack-a-mole and they even had a false positive one it wasn't the old school one from like my childhood at chuck e cheese but it was a cool button when i actually took a picture i can send it to you but it was pretty Man, when i it played was
1: that supportive. I used to knock the hell out of those moles. I would I try to did. break that machine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Um, this was more like a light up button thing, but still, I was very impressed. And it was before yeah. the podcast episode had even come out. So <laughs> I was like, wow. But I had literally told like probably six March uh, vendors like specifically, I really think you should do this. And they have other ideas too. But one of them had like a white wall with a bunch of different kinds of masks. And they had like... Star Wars, I mean, they had so many different kinds of masks, like really nice on the wall and it was basically the premise that they could help verify the true identity behind the mask and it was kind of clever and cute not bad and my secret to trade shows and conferences is if I want any of the swag especially since I'm not a merchant and stuff like that I try to you know let them give everything out to the merchants the first couple days and then on the last day the last hour I walk around and usually they're like we don't want to pack this stuff up just take it (laughs) and it's like you know when you've gone to so many trade shows you start to learn the secret and my daughter's english teacher had actually asked for stress balls because there's a bunch of kids in the class with anxiety and it helps them focus more if they have something to kind of like fidget with and so i was going around looking for stress balls and uh (laughs) this vendor that had the masks was literally being like take 10 take 20 take as many as you want (laughs) and they had the anonymous masks you know those like funny faces i knew
1: you were going to say that's the guy fox mask
0: Okay, I didn't know the name of it, and but have, fake robbers and...
1: How big a fan am I of hit that guy? I've got a handmade one oh on geez. my wall.
0: Oh, well, then this plastic <laughs> one probably one isn't too. really good. <laughs> well, I was thinking it'd be fun for our next photo shoot, like for us to do oh, yeah. a picture of like us hiding behind the masks. You rhyme, don't you?
1: No, I November, don't. Remember the 5th of November, gunpowder, treason, and plot.
0: <laughs> what is I don't even know who the guy is like that's how
1: Guy Fox tried to blow up uh, parliament at one point.
0: Oh great caught. what a great hero you have. <laughs> well it's a national holiday now in the UK. Guy Fox Oh really? Made- interesting i all i knew it from was like anonymous and that kind of thing Uh,
1: i think anonymous got it from the uh, v for vendetta movie is where they
0: oh right right i do remember it yeah from that and i know it's like using bank robbies. i just thought it was fun i also got a couple other ones too i need it yoda yes well (laughs) it is yours yes i have to send it um yeah there's you know there was all kinds of them i think i got yeah yoda and one other one for jordan but Yeah, it was clever. I think that providers are stepping up their game at conferences to get attention and and have conversation starters, for sure. (laughs) And I think we have covered so many topics on this, way more than our friend Julia ever asked for. That's
1: true. I guess Uh, we better close it out before people We
0: probably should. I don't even know where we're at at timing, but I'm sure we're over, as always. (laughs) Well,
1: a lot of truth to that, but that's okay. But
0: we're we're grateful that everybody. We had to
1: listen to your quote-unquote PSAs
0: (laughs) <laughs> and my rants. Like, yeah. You're putting those in quotation marks, aren't you? We may be 3,000 yes. miles away, but I'm I know exactly. I'm doing gesture right now, yes. <laughs> Wait, which hand gesture are you doing? Oh, yeah, are you see, flipping me doing. off? You're good. No, no, no. <laughs> yeah, right. so we both had a couple rants in there, but they were for good reason, and they were... From the heart. Why don't we just say it that way? <laughs> all
1: right. Well, let's close it out then. That's all right. That's it for our episode today. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you've learned a lot. We've got so many of these topics to cover to help protect your company from fraud, so please subscribe to Online Fraudcast to be alerted to when a new episode is out. Please tell your friends, rate and review wherever you can. Don't forget to use the hashtag Online Fraudcast as part of our contest as well, so we can keep and track of
0: that all the being- Yeah, that contest is ending soon. Keep doing it, please. And we will have more things as well. We really appreciate it. I'm seriously humbled every time I look at our metrics and data for the podcast. So thank you guys for telling other people. And we really appreciate it. We always love to hear from you guys. Like we said, I mean, we do have full inboxes. But that doesn't mean we don't want to hear from you. I do read everything. I just may not... I think my problem is i always want to respond in like a novel <laughs> a big surprise i'm sure but we love to hear from you guys we also love to hear how we can improve and what topics you want to hear us discuss we do know a lot about a lot but we don't always know what you guys want to know so let us know and you can find us on facebook or individually on linkedin all right
1: until next time stay informed stay vigilant and stay secure